Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Okay, good. Um, my name is Richard Pratt, and I know a lot of you, and a lot of you know me because I used to attend regularly at this church for about, I guess, about 15 years, way back in 1922, I think it was, is when we, when we were here. And, but it's always great to see old friends who are here and also to know that many of you I don't know, that encourages me too. The fact that you, have, you don't just have a bunch of old guys like me hanging around here. Uh, so thank you very much for the invitation to be here. When Joe asked me, I was delighted to get the chance to do that. And I also want to let you know that there's somebody else here who used to be back here in the 1920s too. Okay. And uh, you might be surprised at this. My wife works at hospital downtown, and so she is, she's working this morning. But our daughter, Becky, is here right over there. You won't recognize her if you know her and because she's all grown up. Okay? And with her are her three children. And um, I can tell you just as frankly and honestly as possible, um, Becky is super mom. And I can also tell you that as I watch her as super mom, I see where it came from. I wish I could say it came from me. I wish I could say it came from her mother. But the truth of the matter is she draws out things that she got here at Orangewood Church some 25, 30 years ago and Orangewood Christian School. So I thank all of you who sacrificed so much to make that possible, and I hope you'll get to know her. She's the loveliest woman in the room today. Okay, she's right over there, along with her three children whom I adore. Psalm 131 is the scripture we're going to be reading this morning, and it's my favorite psalm because it's short and I can remember it. It's only three verses long. How about that? But a wonderful, wonderful psalm for us as we... Search for God as we seek to follow the ways of God, as we find Him, and as we live for Him. Psalm 131, let's begin, and I will read it to you now. Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we bow before you, having heard these words that came to your people thousands of years ago and that they have sung over and over for all of those thousands of years. And here we are today in this place at this time, all of us with different needs, all of us with different desires and different hopes and different dreams and different troubles. And we come to you now asking you to please teach us because This passage is your word. We trust no one like we trust you, Lord Jesus. We hope in no one like we hope in you. We long to see no one like we long to see you. And so we pray now that you will send Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit will come and open our eyes, unstop our ears, fill our hearts, 
that we may love you and serve you more faithfully because of this, your precious word. Amen. You know what I love? I love GPSs. Don't you just love yours? Did I hear an amen? Yes, that's right. And you know why? Because it gets you where you need to go. And in fact, I think I'd have a hard time right now reading a map, an old traditional map. If you still have a traditional map in your car, great day. Where are you anyway? (laughs) GPSs are great. They're fantastic. You can go to a a city, even a country. You have no idea where to go. And it can tell you this way, that way, this way, that way. Um, When I was in the UK recently, the GPSs over there are much more polite than they are over here. They say, turn left in 30 meters, please. And I often thought to myself, I wonder what it says in German. It must not be so polite over in Germany, but it is in the UK. Please turn here. It doesn't say thank you. I wish it did. That would really be great, wouldn't it? So GPSs are magnificent. But sometimes following them can cause trouble. A friend of mine told me about being on his way with his wife to a wedding. And of course, it was in a different town. And of course, they were late. And so as they're racing to get to the wedding, their GPS is telling them, turn here, turn there, turn here, turn there. And he gets this great idea. He says, we're so late. I think I'm going to take what I think is a shortcut up here. And as he gets ready to take the shortcut, his wife screams at him, no, no shortcuts. Follow the GPS. And of course... As he followed the GPS, as he should have, once his wife told him to, they came into a traffic jam and they didn't make it to the wedding at all. Yeah, you know, sometimes we get in trouble for taking shortcuts, right? Which is why his wife did not want him to take the shortcut. But let's face the truth of the matter. And that is sometimes we face troubles when we do the right thing. Following the GPS sometimes takes you right into the traffic jam or maybe even worse into a car accident, ruins your day, maybe even more than that. Doing the right thing can be very troubling and very hard. It can cause you to have to face all kinds of challenges that you know that if you had just taken the shortcut, you would not have to face. This psalm that we just looked at is what's called a song of ascents. You probably saw that at the very tip top of this psalm. And what that means is that at some time in his history, the people of God used this song as one of many that they would sing as they would travel from their hometowns, their home villages, to Jerusalem to celebrate the big feasts that Israel had in Jerusalem several times a year. Now, those feasts were grand feasts. They would last sometimes three or four days, sometimes weeks, sometimes a couple of weeks, in fact. And these were the kinds of songs, apparently, that they sang as they would travel. There was a bunch of them in the songs. And it's really important as we listen to the words of this psalm to realize what's going on. Somebody is following the GPS. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's going to Jerusalem with his family, and with a bunch of other people to do what God told them to do. But doing the right thing in this case, rather than taking the shortcut, it led to trouble. 
Listen to the first verse. Let's see what kind of things were on this person's mind as he's walking toward Jerusalem with his family. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. Now, you've got to think about going to church a little bit differently than you did this morning. This morning, when you got up to go to church, you knew, yeah, you're going to have trouble with the kids, things like that. Okay, I got it. You knew you're going to be running late. Somebody's not going to be quite ready. But at the same time, you knew you're going to go out of your house into your garage, get into an air-conditioned car, drive for 30 minutes at the most, maybe 40 minutes for some of you, and you'd make it and exit at the parking lot. Come on in here. Easy. Going to church today is nothing like what these people faced in their day. They didn't have cars. They didn't have air conditioning. What that really meant was that they would have to travel to these feasts for two, three days sometimes as they wandered their ways through mountain trails, as they went through dangerous places, facing thieves along the way because they were waiting for these people. They had money with them to buy offerings once they got to Jerusalem and the thieves were waiting. And they would be robbed, they would be beaten up, some of them murdered, on the way to church. But more than that, think about what they left back home, unattended. All the chickens, all the sheep, the garden. They had to leave them unattended to spend days, even weeks, in Jerusalem, so that they could do the right thing, go the way that God had told them to go. Now, you can imagine a lot of them, especially the ones that had wealth, what they would do is they would hire people to take care of things back home. But you know the kinds of people they would hire, the ones that didn't go and do the right thing. In other words, the ones that weren't going to do the kinds of things God wanted them to do. They were the scoundrels. You couldn't trust them. They were the people who would, in fact, rob you at the first chance they had. Troubles, troubles, troubles. And you can imagine this father of this family thinking to himself about all the things that he left undone. And all the dangers that he faced along with those that traveled with him as he was doing the right thing. He was, like most of us in this room are, really good at solving problems. Do you ever think of yourself as a problem solver? I know you. I know you. I know the kind of person you are. You're the kind of person that if you see a problem, you put yourself to it and you solve it. The mothers who are here at home with their children, every single morning, every single day, your life is filled with solving problems. Those of you who are in the workplace, every day you are filled with solving problems, figuring it out, working it out, making the right choices, making sure you reach your goals. That's what every single day of my life is filled with as I lead a ministry here in town. I am the problem solver. Every time there's a problem, I get the privilege of solving it. So that's my habit. Isn't that your habit? Take care of things. And you know as well as I do that when you start thinking about it very much, it's very easy 
for you to fall into the pattern of thinking, well, not only am I the problem solver, but I'm also the controller of this. I can manage this. I can take care of it. I've got my life together. Things are working out for me. I can take care of this. Now, as this person is doing the right thing and traveling toward Jerusalem, what he's come to realize is all those things that are good and wholesome, problem solving, working things out back home, taking care of things, making your plans, all those things that are good and wholesome can actually turn out to be something that's full of pride and arrogance and self-confidence and lofty and complicated, and they can so preoccupy you that you can't even get your mind off of them. And that's what he was facing. And he was saying to God himself as he's walking and singing this song, okay, I've stopped doing that. I've come to the end of my rope. I can't solve the problems back home. I've done the best I can. Chickens are in the coop, but who knows who's going to get into it. I'm doing the best I can as we're winding our ways through the mountains, facing thieves, not knowing what's up there in the hills. I look to the hills from whence cometh my help. Who's going to help me as I walk through these hills? Another song of ascent. And he came to the point where he said, Lord, my heart is not proud anymore. My eyes are not haughty. I am not preoccupied with great things or things that are just too difficult or beyond my control. I've given up. I can't do it. All of us face times like that, don't we? If you are the parents of teenage children, welcome to not being able to solve the problems anymore. I mean, it's easy when they're little Because if they don't want to do it, you just jerk them around and make them do it, right? Go to your room or time out or whatever you may do in your home. You can control them when they're little, but when they get to be teenagers, you can't control them anymore. And it becomes much more complicated, much more complicated. And you come to the point where, well, problem solving is beyond your ability. And you just have to throw your hands up and say, I'm doing the best I can do. And that is what this psalmist is saying here. My eyes are not haughty anymore. I don't think I can take care of this anymore. Now, I can tell you this. If he'd have taken a shortcut and simply stayed at home, it would not have been an issue. If he had simply lived his life for himself, he could have taken care of that. If he had not done the right thing and followed the GPS of the scriptures and taken this long journey to Jerusalem with his family, leaving everything behind, his pockets full of money to buy sacrifices in Jerusalem, if he had not done all the things that were right, then the trouble would not have been his. And aren't you tempted to do that sometimes? We all are, aren't we? I'll just take a shortcut. It'll be a lot easier than doing the right thing. But this psalmist says, okay, I'm on track. I am doing the best I can possibly do. I am serving you. I am trying to be faithful to you. 
And I have faced the limits of my ability to take care of the troubles that are mine because I am being faithful to God. You know, that's not the way we usually think about it, is it? We usually think that you get in trouble when you do something that's wrong. Drink too much, you're going to be in trouble. Steal, you're going to be in trouble. Reject Jesus, you're going to be in deep water. And then we think to ourselves, and we actually tell people this, if you'll just come to Jesus, if you just stop the drinking, stop the fighting, stop the stealing, stop all these bad things in your life and do the right thing, then life will be good. Life will be wholesome. Life will be wonderful. Happy, happy, happy. But if you've been around for more than a week or two as a Christian, then you know that actually taking the right path is often the path that actually leads you to the troubles of life. That's what he experienced. (sighs) And he realized he had come to the end of his ability to take care of it all. I give up. I just can't figure it out. I give up. I just can't make sense out of it. I give up. I've done the best I can. And I don't understand why this is happening to me. I give up. Maybe you're here today and you don't claim to be a follower of Jesus and you would wonder what in the world is he even talking about this following Jesus leading to trials and troubles. But here's, it's a wonderful thing that we can tell you right now. Coming to Jesus is the greatest thing, the greatest decision, the greatest adjustment in your life you could possibly make because it will give you a path to eternal life. Forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. I mean, what more could you want than eternal life in the new heavens and new earth that Jesus is going to bring one day? It's going to be fantastic. But hear this. Choosing the path of Jesus doesn't mean everything's going to be okay. That every step of every day is just going to be happy, 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 trouble-free. The reality is, is that if you choose to follow Jesus, you're putting yourself in line for more trouble in life because you begin to care about life. You begin to want things to be different in life. You have a mission in life. You start caring about people around you rather than rejecting them. You try to start helping people rather than hurting them and disregarding them. And then when you do that, when you follow that kind of path in life, The troubles mount up. The troubles mount up. And as everyone in here who follows Christ knows, at times you come to the limit. You just come to the end of your ability to figure this stuff out and to do it any better than you're actually doing. And when those times come, you can throw your hands up to God and say, all right, all right, I realize it. I realize where I am at the end of my ability. 
I'm no longer trying to fix this world all by myself. What a gift to come to Jesus and be put on that kind of path. I love the fact that this psalmist actually does say, all right, I give up. I give up. I'm done with it. I'm not going to try to work it all out for myself anymore. I'm just not. But I also love verse 2, where he looks around himself, perhaps at his own family, in fact, and notices something. He notices a mother. He notices perhaps his wife and a child. With that mother. Listen to what he says in verse 2. Don't you just love this? But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This verse could actually be translated like the weaned child or that weaned child right over there. I've calmed down just like that weaned child. Now, I don't know what it's like for you when you travel with kids on long trips in the car. (laughs) My goodness. I remember when I was growing up what it was like for my brother and me. It was constant fighting, constant arguing. He touched me. No, he touched me first. All those kinds of things. He hit me. He hit me first. I need to go to the bathroom. How much further is it? Constantly, we were doing this to my parents. And of course, there was this nightmare event that would always happen with my dad. And that is, he would look over his shoulder as he had his hand up on the, on the seat next to him, next to my mother. And he would look at him and he'd say, and he would say to us, do you want me to stop the car? Oh boy, no, we don't want you to stop the car. Do you want me to stop the car? No, dad, we don't want you to stop the car. Please don't stop the car. Because we knew what that meant. The biggest whooping you'd get. Yeah, children don't travel well. Is that fair enough? Oh, they travel well when they're on their way to Disney. I go in and out of the airport a lot, okay? They're all excited. Everybody's giddy. But that trip back home, that's not a good one. So when I, when I leave Orlando, I'm often with lots of children who are very sad that they're leaving Mickey Mouse and they're irritable and it, they don't travel well. They kick the seat that I'm sitting in and things like that. It's just not happy. You want me to stop this airplane? You don't want me to stop this airplane. I can tell you that right now. All right, children don't travel well. And you can imagine, can't you, that if they're not riding in an air-conditioned car like your children do, but rather being pulled along on a long, arduous journey up and down hills like this family was doing, winding this way, winding that way, not for 30 minutes, not for a couple of hours, but for days on end. Can you imagine what the brothers and sisters were doing to each other and how much they fussed? How much longer? You want me to stop this? Yeah, you can imagine it. And so in the midst of all these children that are running around fighting and arguing and they're hungry and they're tired and they're thirsty, they've been doing this for days, this man notices something. He notices a child, a weaned child, resting on his mother. And he says... God, when I gave up on trying to figure all these problems out, the problems that I got because I was doing what you told me to do, 
when I figured out that I should give up on that, my soul calmed down and stilled like the weaned child with its mother. You know, I'm told by mothers that it's a blessed experience when their child is first weaned because they can hold their child and they don't sense that the child is simply trying to get something from mom. They can cuddle, they can hold, it's very tender. I'm sure you've all seen it before, haven't you? Maybe it doesn't happen every single time, but there's a propensity for little children here, probably about three, four years old. There's a propensity that they respond to troubles or pain with their mothers in certain ways. And I think we all have seen it. In fact, if it doesn't happen, you need to figure out what's going on here. Attachment disorders and all that business, okay? And here's how it goes. The child falls down, skins her knee. What does she do? She runs to mom. Even when mom disciplines the child, what does she do? In tears over the discipline, what does she do? She runs to mom. Now, all of us dads in here think we're also metrosexual, that they'll come to us too. And maybe they do a little more now. But you have to understand, not back in this world, children were more or less things to the daddies. But they were children to the mothers. And children may be deeply hurt. They may be confused. They may be overwhelmed. They may be in pain. And the weaned child goes to mom. Not kicking and screaming at mom, but wanting to be held by mom. What a beautiful picture. And he looks at this and he says, that's the way I feel right now. With you, God, I feel like a weaned child. That's the way my soul feels now. Now that I've given up on trying to figure all this stuff out. Why do children do that? Why do they tend to run to mom? Well, you know, you know what mom even says. She'll hold the child and pat him on the back and say, I know, I know. The fact that mom understands, oh, so reassuring. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. The fact that mom says it's going to be okay calms the child. I know it may not sound very masculine and very macho to be able to say this about all of us, men and women, adults and children and young people. Old, young, whoever you are, sick, healthy. It may not sound very macho because we sort of have this idea that we ought to be able to stand on our own two feet and just be strong. But the truth of the matter is life can be overwhelming. Can't it? Maybe even today you're facing an illness that is just 
is just overwhelming you. Maybe you know some friends who are going through troubles. Maybe you're having troubles in your own family. And you just feel like, it's just out of control, out of control. What a privilege we have that for those who have come to Jesus, God is not simply our Father, as wonderful as that is, and kind and tender as He is. But here we're being told He's also like your mother. I know. It's going to be okay. <coughs> Think back to the day that you first came to Jesus. A lot of you can remember that time. Maybe it was even very dramatic for you where you just turned like that. Why did you run to him on that day? Because life was just too much. And I need somebody who knows it all. I need somebody who can assure me, because he's so powerful, it's going to be okay. You know, a child may be overwhelmed by life, but the mother isn't. A skint knee doesn't mean much to a mom. It's not the end of the world. It's going to be okay. A mother has a bigger view of things. A mother has the ability to protect, to take care of the child through this skint knee, through this problem that she's facing. (laughs) She's got the power. She's got the knowledge. Lean on her. Lean on her. On her. If you're tired of trying to face the troubles of your life on your own, find the one who knows enough. Find the one who has enough power in his hands and put your head on his shoulder. And rest in him. It's your privilege as one who knows Jesus. You don't have to bear it. You don't have to be befuddled. You don't have to be so confused anymore. You don't have to be so afraid anymore. It's all going to go down the tubes. No, it's not. It's all going to be destroyed. No, it's not. And you can put your head on the shoulder of the one who knows all and the one who is in control of all. And he will reassure you just like your mother used to do when you were little. It's, I know, I know, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Don't you need that every once in a while? I know I do. Yeah. You see, choosing to do the right thing 
is often the thing that takes you right into the troubles and trials. But you don't have to do that alone. Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. And then this psalmist, you can sort of imagine him doing this in his own mind, sort of opens his eyes and realizes he's not alone, that there are people around him, you know, fellow travelers, his family, others around him, in front of him, behind him, because they did travel in groups for protection and that kind of thing. And people are singing 100 bottles of beer on the wall and things like that, okay, as they're traveling. He's not, he's singing something else. And he opens his eyes and he looks around and he says, verse three, oh, Israel, that means, hey, everybody, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Do you see what kind of confidence he had now? Hey, everybody, we don't have to worry about what's going on back at home where we left things unattended. We don't have to worry about the thieves that are surrounding us. Put your hope in the Lord. Put your hope in him, everybody. And we can make it to Jerusalem. And we can carry through with what God wants us to do. You know, in the New Testament, the book of James in chapter 1 actually says this, consider it all joy, brothers, when you face every kind of trial. And he goes on to tell them that if you'll just believe, if you just won't waver in this, God is good, God is good, God is good, then you will begin to see that God takes the trials and the troubles of your life and turns them into wonderfully good things. In fact, essential things because troubles and trials in your personal life, your family life, your church, your country, your world. Do you know what they do to believers who are confident that God is good, not that God is evil, that God tricks us and that God somehow is yin and yang together, but rather God is good. Do you know what those troubles do? He uses them in your life to produce certain things. Perseverance, he says, strength, and maturity, so that one day you'll actually receive the crown of life. Can you imagine what you would do if God just left you alone to your own devices? Hello? That if he didn't put challenges in your life, if he didn't put trials in your life, if things were just always going so well, you really didn't have to think about anything, get down to what's important in life, like trusting in Jesus, like leaning on God as your mother? Can you imagine what you would do with your life? Your life would wither away. I know you think it would be good. It wouldn't be good. Your life would wither away. So James tells us here in James chapter 1 why it is that even in times of trouble like this psalmist was facing, We are to be hoping in the Lord. It's because he's good.
and all these trials that we face, they come from a good, good God. You know that popular song that talks about how when troubles come into your life, you feel like everything's falling apart. And the refrain of that popular song is, your world's not falling apart when those kinds of things happen. Your world is not falling apart. Your world is falling into place. How can you be sure of that? Because the one who is in control of the world is a good, good father. It's who he is. Your world, despite whatever troubles you're facing, is not falling apart if you are in Christ. Your world is falling into place. And this is why in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, where it's talking about Christians not facing the kinds of struggles you and I face. You know, my air conditioning doesn't work. My internet is down. My cable company, they won't come on time. That happened to me just yesterday. I was so disgusted with them. <laughs> oh, what a terrible trouble. My cable's not going to work today. All day. <laughs> I'll have to wait till Monday. No, they weren't facing those kinds of troubles. Romans chapter 8 talks about how Christians, simply because they love Jesus, are being led like lambs to the slaughter. Simply because they love Jesus, not because they were troublemakers. They were having their children taken from them. They were losing every possession they had. That's that passage where the apostle says, I'm convinced of this, that if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who can possibly be against you? If God who controls all things in this world is for you, and if you are in Christ, he is for you. He gave his own son for you. What more proof do you need? If he is for you, can anything in this world, whether trials and tribulations, life or death, angels and principalities, can anything, can anything harm you? The answer is no. But rather, in all of these things, we know we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors through him who loved us. And that's that same chapter where the apostle gives those well-known words that many of us hold on to and for dear life and we must, where he makes this great promise of what a good God who is in control of everything does for us. You ready for it? Do you remember? And we know that God works all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. He works how much for good? All things. Yes, even the trials and tribulations, even martyrdom, he works it all for the good 
of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. No wonder the psalmist opened his eyes and looked around and said, hey, everybody, put your hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Follow the GPS. You should. This one. But don't be fooled. It's going to take you into times of trouble. But don't worry. And say to your God in heaven, Oh Lord, my eyes are not proud. My heart is not haughty. I don't give myself to vain things or things too difficult for me. But rather I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child. Like a weaned child with its mother is my soul within me. Hey, everybody, oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, how we bless you, how we love you and adore you. Because we who are so undeserving have received this mercy. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will write these words in our hearts, that we will remember them and that we will never deviate. And that despite all the troubles that we face in this world, that we will put our hope in you. Amen.